Hey, stranger. You look a little lost there. You need any help? Where are you headed on this fine day? Oh, gee, I must have fallen asleep on the train. Missed my stop. What exactly am I? What town is this? Well, that's easy to answer, friend. You've just arrived at Stupid Town. <laughs> Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast once again. Now, we're joined today by master songwriter and multi-instrumentalist Dean Friedman. If time permits, we'll touch on all aspects of his career. But in a minute, we're going to look in some detail at his brand new album, American Lullaby, which reports, uh, let's say, in a bleakly humorous way, on the state of his nation, the United States of America. But meanwhile, welcome to our Zoom nation. Dean, hello. <laughs> welcome. Hey, Sean Paul. Pleased to see you guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And Dean, sorry, if, if, I can, if I can just lurch in just before we, we kind of hand over the reins to you. Uh, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to see you. But full disclosure... Prior to getting a tweet message from our mutual friend, Simon Broach, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, my exposure to Dean Friedman was down to my precious vinyl copy of Well Well Said The Rocking Chair, which I, I absolutely love, by the way. So I'm, I am guilty of, of having you in, in, my, in my head and heart as a, as a one-album person. I know you weren't. <laughs> um, I get, you, you, you can see all the, shall we say, too much stuff behind me life is kind of too short to um to own everything by everybody but it's been a real pleasure getting to know the new album which i like very much but also um immersing myself in your previous eight albums i believe and it's been a, a real eye-opener and an absolute pleasure well, that that that's very nice to hear, Sean. <laughs> because I, I know that uh, for for the vast majority of the world that might only be familiar with one or two radio hits, uh, there's a lot more to the story, and so I'm I'm gratified to to hear that uh, it's been an eye opener and that you discovered more more of that story. Very much so. I wish you joy. I wish you laughter, elation, delight, jubilation, poor boy. Let's talk about the, the new album. Um, there are lots of angles that we'd like to explore. Um, and for me, it's been, it's been wry and, and funny, warm and quite sharp in places. But can we start by really the ethos behind the record? It, it strikes me as a very much a lockdown project. And dare I say it, perhaps a lockdown concept album. Tell us about how it came about. Well, uh, you're right in characterizing it in that way. Uh, you know, there was a, a day in last March where uh, suddenly I had to cancel a 40-city UK Ireland tour. Wow. And I had to think about, gee, what am I going to do next? And uh, actually the idea and the motivation for the album really goes back about six years uh, when I, along with all my fellow uh, Americans, 
uh, and really the rest of the world, woke up to discover that a, a bankrupt real estate developer from New York and, and well-known longtime money launderer for the Russian mafia uh, had become president of the United States. I, I cannot overstate how mind-boggling this was to the majority of Americans who did not vote for him. In fact, even it was mind-boggling even for the people that did vote for him. I don't think they really expected him to win, but uh, I don't think he expected to win. No. In any case, it, it totally blew our minds. And uh, so the genesis of the album was my attempt to wrap my head around that event and all the strange cataclysmic crises that followed and preceded it, in many cases as a consequence of that uh, cataclysmic election. Absolutely. And, uh, we, we couldn't believe our eyes and ears when it happened. It was it was a similar effect on us, you know, 3,000 miles away, as, as the Brexit vote was. It was just a shock. Yes, exactly. We shared th that in, in common, and, and I think we share a, a common cause, uh, which was... Uh, uh, you know, a, uh, a multi-billionaire uh, despot in uh, Russia who uh, who really had a hand in making both events occur. Russian fixer Felix Sater rode to his office in the Trump Tower elevator. Like his associate, he had no scruples. Pump and dump dollars or rubles. Did a deal with you-know-who down in Soho. Money laundering, that's a no-no. How'd he make his millions? Russian mafia, that's how. Brokered a deal for Trump Tower Moscow. <laughs> yes. uh, and I know people are kind of tired of hearing it, but I, I, the, that consequence was so profound and has led to, to, to so much devastation that I feel uh, you know it's necessary to at least acknowledge it. Uh, even if people are bored of it, but also to try and uh, tell the story around what happened and 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 what happened next, uh, and not just that, uh, harking back 400 years to uh, the origins of the dilemma that we're in, because we didn't get here <laughs> overnight, mm -hmm. um, and so the album is dealing with these difficult topics. But anyone familiar with my music knows that. I tend to approach these things with, with a healthy dose of uh, humor and an ample dose of silliness because uh, <laughs> I see those as crucial survival mechanisms uh, for just getting by in the world. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, things can be too dire. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. And there's a, a the middle of the album goes delightfully silly, I think. Um, but it's silliness with, with such a, a, a needle-sharp eye on on what life in america in stupid town <laughs> and, and, and we will go into into more detail on those so what what a fascinating premise though for a record we were talking recently dean with kevin godley in fact about a year ago about his album that was recorded in lockdown style but before lockdown happened and and his the concepts behind his record are, are very similar to yours um, there's quite a, a presence of Trump in the record there's despots and corruption um, mass social media indoctrination and so on so uh, I, I think I'd recommend that you give it a listen it's uh, it's not it's called muscle memory and it's not an easy listen at all we don't need no Stetsons or bootcut jeans because we'll be giving away handguns to all the tots and 
Oh, I look forward to it, absolutely. Yeah, but I think they, your albums are akin because they're coming from the same kind of what the fuck is going on place. Precisely. This is a, exactly, that's, that, that really is a good characterization of the album. <laughs> but although, and I appreciate that some people might view it as having a lot of uh, political content. I, 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 I never really saw it that way. For me, it's really more of a casual gossip album. Because it, it, it's a conversation about the kinds of things that, uh, that we all talk about on, on a daily basis to our family and our friends. Because these things impact us uh, on a regular basis and continue to do so. And so the album is just my attempt to uh, try and wrap my head around it, to understand it. And, and hopefully folks uh, who have experienced it in similar ways can relate. No, absolutely. It's interesting, Dean, you talk about the sort of conversations because although I, I, I guess uh, most of the album is, is self-played, self-produced, there's quite a lot of audio verite on there where you hear conversations, presumably with your friends, uh, book-ending tracks and things like that. Are, there, are, there, is that re- are they kind of real examples of sound bites that you kind of deliberately plumbed into the record? Because it gives it more of a community feel, even though it's a lockdown kind of record. Like the, like the deli in, in many ways. Yeah, but a little bit like the Delhi song. But mm. uh, um, I'm thinking of. I'm trying to remember the track here. Um, there are quite a few, aren't there? Well, the, there's the, the just another birthday song, and you've got the Russian. Uh, the Russians are coming. Starts with the. Is it the kids singing? I believe. Right. And, and yeah. You, and you've got the news report at the start of Sorry About That as well, haven't you? Talking about the wildfires. Matzo ball soups, a coffee, corned beef on rice, tomato and slaw on. Shh, quiet down. Get ready. Michael Millstone here, reporting for WDFK from the San Francisco Bay Area. The West Coast from Los Angeles to Seattle is experiencing some of the worst air quality in the world due to a series of still out-of-control wildfires which have been burning unchecked for several days. What we don't want to do now is to pull back before we get that rather large proportion of people vaccinated, we've got to keep pushing to get it down even further. I, I needed to pick a lamp, and I, I didn't have any, I have no taste at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, well uh, some of it is scripted, but some of it is not. Some of it is just sort of, uh, you know, found audio where I just put up a mic as folks were hanging around having a chat. And yeah. I, I did want to... Uh, you know, sort of create this world and invite the, the listener into this musical storytelling land. And uh, so those elements for me helped to do that. They, they give it a kind of, uh, you know, cinema verite feel to it where people uh, can uh, immerse themselves in, in that environment. As I was doing it, I was briefly self-conscious. I thought, well, gee, I'm, I'm, you know, putting all this extra interstitial content between the tracks. Mm-hmm. Is this going to sound stupid? But then I remembered, uh, as Paul, you know, rightly noted, that I've been doing it all my life. And I, rem- I remembered the Delhi song where we went down to all the delicatessens in, in Manhattan and stopped in with our 
yeah, you know, my a field uh, recorder and mm-hmm. got all the sound effects to create that ambiance as the introduction to the okay. Delhi song. And then it dawned on me, wait, okay, so this is not really a, a big leap for me. I, I really have been doing this from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Let's, uh, let's have a look at American Lullaby, which I think it starts the album, and I guess it had to either start or end the album. It's, it's a big statement. Musically, a ballad, I think, in that it's like an AAA structure, apart from... At the end, you quote God Save the Queen, I notice. Um, and you also... Uh, if we can get a little musically nerdy, which we sometimes do, and I think I have this right, you kind of do a, a flat six one. In other words, part of the, with a little help from my friends, cadence right at the end. And I wondered if that was a deliberate nod to to the other British icons, the Beatles, along with Queen Elizabeth II. It's an American lullaby. you say that because here in America we stole the melody of God Save the King God Save the Queen and used it in one of our most popular national anthems which is uh, uh, oh beautiful uh, say can you see Uh, my my country tis it my country tis it and it's the same melody Um, Uh and you you're right that yeah. I did add uh, some minor chords to it just to, yep. uh, to be consistent with the theme of it. And the whole oh, song yeah. American Lullaby, as I was thinking about the album as a whole, recognizing that there were all these topical events uh, that were being touched on, it, it occurred to me that, that it would be impossible to talk about current events without going back to the origin of so many of them. Uh, and in this instance, I went back 400 years mm. uh, to, 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 to tell the narrative that led us to where we are, including America's two original sins, including uh, the massacre of the indigenous population and 200 plus years of slavery, both abetted by our uh, just an inexplicable love affair with guns. Mm-hmm. And uh, that history of violence and conquest, and so I, I, I recognize it was a challenge trying to sum that up in a you know like a six minute uh, pop ballad, uh, but I, I did my best, and the reaction has been really powerful. Uh, and I I, I I think that also let me just stress that I love my country. I love being an American. I love America and. And what it ostensibly stands for, and, and so many of the things that we've done right, but there are a lot of things we've done wrong. Uh, and uh, my feeling is that uh, you have to acknowledge your mistakes, or you're just doomed to repeat them. Sure. And so that was the the impulse and the motivation for the song, for writing it and including it on the album. And it also, as you suggest, it does set you up for everything else that happens next. Yes, beautifully said. And I was going to ask you if if that wonderful evocative intro, where where you're you're on this stinking creaking ship. I was going to ask you if that was a slave ship, 
um, or, or maybe the founding fathers arriving. What, what was your vision there? Don't you cry It's an American lullaby Manifest destiny's a lie It's an American lullaby Well, uh, you're not wrong in, in terms of uh, what, uh, those images that it evokes. Uh, in, in actual fact, uh, as I sat down to really research uh, the song, because I, I, I really had a lot of history that I wanted to sort of encapsulate in the song, I went to Google and I typed in the first uh, shooting in uh, North America. Mm. And one of the articles that came out was uh, an article about a, a ship called the Half Moon which was looking, uh, 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 captained by a Dutch uh, sailor named Hendrik Hudson. Uh, he was looking for the mythical Northwest Passage, to, you know, to India, <laughs> uh, but instead wound up sailing up the mouth of the Hudson River, uh, or the river that's now named after Hendrik Hudson. Right. Uh, and as was the habit of all these explorers, whenever they ran out of supplies, they would uh, send a, a party ashore with their muskets and maybe a cannon, uh, and they would raid the nearest indigenous village and take all their supplies, uh, kill a bunch of folks. Mm. And so uh, in my research for the song, uh, I, as I say, stumbled upon this half-moon ship sailing up the Hudson. And I live, you know, just a, a stone's throw away from the Hudson River, so it's it's a history that I'm really familiar with. And so I used that as the starting point. And that ship that is evoking that sense of discovery of arriving at America, of the origins of everything that's happened since Europeans landed here, mm. uh, is really the, 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 the kicking off point for the rest of the story. Absolutely. W wonderfully said. And I love the, uh, I also love the, the evocativeness of the instrumentation. The instrumentation on this track, I think, is, is the richest on the album, isn't it? Um, and I, I, I'm desperate to ask you how many of the instruments are real and, and how many of them are played by you electronically. But it, it's a wonderful arrangement. You've got the lovely pizzicato and, and legato strings on there, um, which and French horns and things like that that sound real. Um, and there, there's something classical about the piece. Um, and even though musically it feels quite simple, um, there's a beautiful tension between the sort of descending bass notes and the and the pedal bass notes that that just kind of leave you in expectation. Do you know what I mean? Taking you to to dark places. I think musically and lyrically, there's a, there's a very strong marriage. You said, I cannot tell a lie. Cross my heart and hope to die. Well, I'm really pleased to hear that. Uh, I, I strived 
uh, first and foremost, not to ruin the song <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I recorded it, because I, I felt uh, really good about the composition, uh, about the songwriting. Um, and so I wanted to present it uh, in a context that was appropriate and felt the same way when I then went on to do the video. Uh, in terms of the orchestration, uh, well, uh, you may or may not be surprised to learn that 95% um, of it was uh, sampled and performed by me on my keyboard in the studio. Yeah. However, mm -hmm. uh, I, uh, I did have the the benefit of remote contributions from uh, uh, about a half dozen musicians all over the world huh. who, who, uh, who sent in uh, elements for many of the tracks on the album recorded in their home studios, which I then assembled uh, here in my studio. And in the case of the title track, American Lullaby, uh, a, a wonderful cellist uh, named Kevin Fox, who tours... Uh, 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 with Stephen Page as part of the Stephen Page trio, Bare Naked Ladies. Yes, yes. Um, well, Kevin uh, played all the cello parts uh, on the track, and just that one human element yes. really livens up uh, the entire track and, uh, and makes it possible for even those sampled sounds... Uh, although, you know, I try to perform them and write them in, in context so that they work really well by themselves. Mm. But having that live element uh, brings, just brings uh, it alive, doesn't it? enlivens the track in ways uh, that, that work for me and hopefully for you as well. Yeah, well, absolutely. Now, I love that, that sort of chamber orchestra intro. Uh, such a beautiful uh, way of, of bringing you into the narrative. Can I also ask you, Dean, something that struck me today? Um, Throughout the length of the song, there's an untold number of rhymes with with lullaby, some proper rhymes and some half rhymes. And it feels to me like the, the rhyme scheme is kind of pulling you kind of inexorably through the story of the song. Is, it, is that me making shit up or, or, or is that a deliberate, a deliberate move? And clench your fist and dry your eyes American lullaby Judgment served from up on high It's an American lullaby Well, uh, it, it wasn't so much deliberate as I, I would say innate uh, because choosing to repeat the line American lullaby uh, it, it for me, it turned it almost into a chant. Yes. Uh, and uh, sort of a, a, a meditative uh, quality, which, you know, for the purposes of a lullaby, mm. sort of lulls you into this trance-like state as the, the, the story is being told. And, you know, I, 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 I was challenged at first as to how to relay this story mm. because everything I do I, I view as my telling short stories set to music um, and uh, I finally arrived at what for me was a really useful format which was uh, the form of a lullaby uh, and, and reason being because there's this curious aspect to all lullabies which is that in every culture on this planet 
they share this one thing in common, which is that it, parents will be, you know, rocking their babies to sleep in their arms or in their cradles, uh, singing a, a, a sweet, soothing melody to, to lull them to sleep. But if you listen to the words they're singing, <laughs> they are terrifying. Sinister because, stuff, aren't they, very often? Yeah. Common to all lullabies mm. uh, is that the, the lyrics are, are filled with these horrifying messages of the terrible things that would befall these children as they grow up and face the world. Mm. Uh, I think about, you know, Rockabye Baby. Rockabye Baby on the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. Now, first of all, what's the kid doing in the tree in the first place? <laughs> and then the, the, he falls out of the tree. The tree, the cradle falls on its head. How is that any way to lull a child to sleep? <laughs> Until you think about it, and uh, you know, my only conclusion is that this is universally a way that parents hope to impart crucial information right. to the next generation, uh, but in a way that doesn't send them, you know, screaming. <laughs> Uh, down the hall or in, in, into the night. Uh, and so they couch it in these soothing, gentle t tones uh, with the hope that th they will uh, be palatable yes. and that they'll absorb this critical information uh, as they're drifting off into a, a sweet slumber. A and that's what uh, uh, the model I adopted for this introductory song, the first track on the album, uh, for that reason, because I had a difficult tale to tell Mm. Uh, but I wanted people to be able to, to hear it uh, w without, uh, you know, being terrified. Uh, and so I, I tried to find that balance. Oh, wonderful. And, it's, and the message is no less strong uh, for, for that and, and more, somehow more powerful and more poignant because of that. Yeah, thank you for that lovely explanation. And I see that the word lullaby is just as crucial to that song as the word American. Now you've explained it, thank you. Mm. Um, ju jumping to the other end of the album, Dean, uh, On a Summer's Night, which is one of the few non-satirical songs, um, mm. or let's say, um, I really like this song. It's got lovely, lots of lovely floaty changes. Um, and it occurred to me, that's the real lullaby on the record, really, because it's talking about the summer's night and it's, um, you know, I don't know whether you intended to bookend the, the album like that. It kind of a callback to the, the American lullaby, but a kind of more personal, but a real lullaby almost, I mm -hmm. felt. Yeah, good point. And the world seems right Summer's night All is calm And the world seems right Well, it's nice that you say that, Paul, because, uh, you know, without thinking of it precisely in those terms that it was the real lullaby in the album, uh, that was my intent, uh, and you're absolutely right. It was the the last song that I wrote for the album uh, okay. on a summer's night, and I wrote it intentionally. 
Uh, again, realizing how much difficult material was on the album, even though it's full of silly stuff. And yeah. there's, there's, I mean, songs like, you know, Welcome to Stupid Town and... Um, <laughs> Wear a mask. Uh, you know, <laughs> Wear a mask and the yeah. Russians are coming. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of funny shit on the album, uh, as is my habit. Uh, <laughs> but I also recognized that uh, there was a lot of tumult. And I, I didn't want to send people off just in a quivering state. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and because I am an optimist by nature, mm -hmm. uh, and the album is is filled with hope mm -hmm. and faith, and our ability to you know overcome a lot of these challenges, I, I wanted to leave people with something that was that was more calming, more hopeful, and. Uh, suggested that you know even for this brief period of time uh whatever happens next we we can s uh, celebrate and appreciate and recognize that at the moment things seem common we should enjoy that and we should stay in, in the moment and appreciate that uh, otherwise we're just wasting <laughs> the, the the minutes as they tick by mm. and the beauty that's all around us because uh, and other songs ha have that intent. For example... Sorry About That seems to fit that mould. Uh, uh, that as well. And uh, also, uh, you know, a silly song like uh, Just Another Birthday Song. Hmm. Um, you know, even in the midst of all, this, all these crises, uh, I think it's incumbent upon us to, to, to recognise and to, to celebrate those blessings that we do enjoy, even in the midst of dire circumstances, even when we're locked down and, and you know, terrible things are going on all over the world. Uh, if there is an excuse to be joyous, then then we need to be because, uh, you know, otherwise we're not living fully and, you know, we're doing ourselves harm. And so that last track on a summer's night uh, intentionally tries to 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 describe those feelings and that sense of uh you know a couple sitting outside as the sun is setting and as maybe a few stars are starting to pop pop, pop in mm -hmm. the dark side of the sky and crickets are crick chirping and the frogs and uh, owl is hooting just that brief sense of calm and release at the yeah. end of a trying time yeah. to say at least for this moment we can exhale we can take a, 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 you know a, a deep breath uh, and uh, celebrate the fact that we're here, that we're survived, and, and the world is still a wondrous place. God, here, here. And it, as Paul was saying, it's got such a floaty atmosphere, that tune. And uh, your phrasing somehow is kind of deliberately lazy, which I really like. It reminds me, Dean, of a, there's a wonderful Scottish band. I'm not sure if you know the Blue Nile. I'll uh, be sure uh, to listen. Uh, there's a, uh, in particular, their second album, Hats, has a lot of similarities with the, with your final track here. Beautifully, uh, it, it's quite dark, but it's floaty and, and extremely atmospheric. You can literally just waft away into into Glasgow at night. I mean, the weather is colder in Scotland uh, than, than it is uh -huh. in this song. But uh, <laughs> sure. highly recommended, Dean, and that there is a similar flavour there, and I absolutely love it. Right. 
all my worries and my fears seem to suddenly disappear the moment you draw near. I appreciate that. I'll definitely check them out. No problem. Let's pick it. Well, let's let's go to too much stuff. Oh. Um, now, a couple of questions here, Dean. Um, are you gonna? <laughs> Are you crowdfunding a teleprompter when you p- perform that live, or are you going to are you going to do it on the on the high wire without any? Are you going to commit it to memory? Can you commit it to memory? Uh, well, you know, Paul, I have tried my uh, level-headed best to to commit it to memory, and right. I've got it to the point where if I have the lyrics in front of me, I only have to glance at them, you know, like once every couple of verses. To, to yeah. try and keep track of where I am. But it is a challenge, and I am determined to learn it by the time I, I go back on tour in April <laughs> oh, of next exciting. year. It, it's, it's amazing. It's like Noel Coward, or or even Eric Idle doing Noel Coward in, in <laughs> Monty Python's Meaning of Life, uh-huh. you know, where, where they're talking about willies and wieners and so on. Uh, but I, I love it. It's, it's an anthem to me. As you can see behind me, Dean. Yeah, but, yeah, that's right. You're a, a good You're example. A bit, look at I'd, I'd love you to give us a stanza or two on the piano. Could Would you be happy to give us a little taste? I would be pleased to, and uh, you'll forgive me because I am going to throw up the lyrics because no, there's so many words. Yeah. But we'll see how much I get by with it. Okay. Uh, and again, it's funny because, you know, you recognize yourself in the song. <laughs> Almost all of my uh, relatives, my siblings and good friends, uh, are convinced that I wrote this song just for them. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, it, 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 and, and it's true enough. Now, uh, you could think of this song as uh, a, uh, a, a comment on our obsessive consumerism and the risks of unchecked capitalism. Mm. But you could also view it as... Uh, a genetic disposition <laughs> to to, uh, Guilty. to to collect a lot of stuff. I got too much stuff. I got way more shoes than it's possible to use. I got too much stuff. I've got a myriad of devices and way too many vices. I got no recollection of ever starting this collection. I guess my innate curiosity combined with sheer fastidiosity reached escape velocity to turn my ultimate direction. Upon careful reflection, I can't ignore my obvious predilection for too much stuff. I got multiple containers full of colanders and strainers. I got too much stuff. I've got various vessels filled with mortars and pestles. It's a real mess, I tell you. Probably started as a child collecting bottle caps and stands, and gradually over time grew to keyboards, guitar, and amps. Never saw myself as a hoarder with an order disorder, but after the court order, I included it clearly on the border. I got too much stuff. I mean, it's almost comical. It's certainly not economical. I got too much stuff. I once tried to keep it chronicle. Storage fees alone were astronomical. My friend said this is a symptom of some deep-seated neurosis. So I went to a strength to get a professional psych diagnosis. I said, Doc, give me a straight. What's my likely prognosis? He scheduled me for 52 weeks of hypnosis. I got too much stuff. My basement is cluttered with things best left unuttered. I got too much stuff. I recommend you avoid the attic, especially if you're asthmatic. Now, some of you may be somewhat skeptical, but everything's collectible. And pardon my inelegance, I don't mean to impugn your intelligence, but stop by one afternoon. You'll see my entire bedroom is strewn with autographed production cells of a Bugs Bunny cartoon and my prize signed photograph of Reese Witherspoon and the actual raccoon cat worn by Daniel Boone or maybe Davy Crockett. Plus, it's a gold-plated locket I keep on pocket along with this watch. Keeps really good time, so don't knock it. I got too much stuff. My house is a mess. It's really quite stressful. I got too much stuff. 
I tried to create order, but I've been unsuccessful. I got tchotchkes and doodads and trinkets and knickknacks, plus the world's largest collection of food favorite tic-tacs and novelties and mementos and assorted baffling hat, plus a stuffed duck billed platypus all the way from Australia. I got too <laughs> much stuff. I'm filled to the brand with packages of Slim Jims. I got too much stuff. I'm stacked to the rafters with glasses from Lens Crafters. I try not to grumble, but my life's an absolute jumble. I take one step in any direction and I stumble. I need to minimize and organize and downsize and revise, optimize and prioritize, and everything that implies I got too much stuff. I got 62 cases of marshmallow fluff. I got too much stuff. Believe me, that's way, way more than enough. I'm stuffed to the gills with hammers and drills and posters and pamphlets and flyers and handbills. I can't help but categorize and classify and collate by color and size, by texture and weight. I pray for recovery, but it's probably too late. I got too much stuff. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Dean, you have been to my house. (laughs) Wow. I mean, that's... Lynn Manuel Miranda, eat your heart out there. I mean, uh, that no, that is that is quite that is quite something. I mean, I'm a, a few stanzas. We got the whole thing, so we got huge grins on our faces. Sean and I, for uh, those listening on an audio, absolute it's absolutely brilliant. Treat. Uh, do you know the the monkeys track? Mickey Dolenz is going down. Choking in the river with a saturated liver, and I wish I could forgive her, but I do believe she meant it when she told me to forget it, and I bet you will forget it when they find me in the morning, wet and drowned, and the world gets round. Uh, I'm sure I'm familiar with it. It doesn't come to mind readily, but uh, well, it, I love the monkeys. Oh, well, yeah, we love the monkeys. It's actually a, a B-side or something. It's a, it's a rare Mickey Dolenz written track, and uh-huh. it doesn't quite go to the same velocity as as uh, too much stuff, but it, it's 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 similar in, in, in his, his approach. Um, I, it, probably worth worth checking. It was an, you know, an unusual vocal delivery, but uh, maybe well, you one... Know what? Uh, the last train to Clarksville by the monkeys was the first 45 I ever bought. Oh, fantastic. Uh, and, and I bought it because uh, I, I just, uh, I loved the opening guitar lick. And, uh, you know, second only to the Beatles' Day Tripper. It, it's, you know, one of the greatest guitar licks ever. And so, you know, I brought it and would play it on my turntable, slow it down to 33 so that I could... Uh, figure out the the notes sequence right. and uh, so yeah I mean uh, as soon as I bought my first guitar learned my first four chords I was playing the Beatles and songs and the monkeys and you know just uh, and you, you know you, you start off any writer by uh, imitating you, you know your influences and uh, in this instance uh, I was uh, you know starting out writing songs imitating you know Lennon and McCartney and uh, aping the monkeys <laughs> if you pardon, if you pardon yeah. the pun, yeah. Too much stuff. That's a brilliant example of of your endearing humour that's been a part of of every album uh, that you've ever released to my ears. But there's even more funniness on this album, and a, a lot of it is deliberately slapstick to my ears. But it's so so effective, and there are lots of songs that make me laugh out loud. Too much stuff is obvious. The Russians are coming. With that, <laughs> with that incredible Russian accent, but then, but then, but <laughs> thank then you, you very much. But then, yeah, oh, yeah. it's it's like Putin's in the room. Uh, how, how scary is that? And then you've got this sort of Sesame Street suite um, where, where you've got uh, the aforementioned tracks: "Welcome to Stupid Town," uh, "Riding with Biden," um, and "Wear a Mask," um, which are 
tongue-in-cheek but vicious in their in their satire <laughs> to talk us through your your processes and and maybe the fun you had in recording those we welcome you to stupid town we hope you'll have a look around please permit me to expound on my dear old stupid town Welcome to Stupid Town, where everything is upside down. Sheriff's Vent, the mayor's a clown, here in Stupid Town. Well, uh, you mentioned uh, Welcome to to Stupid Town. (laughs) That comes to mind. And here's the thing. Again, trying to wrap my head around all all of these crazy events that have been happening. Uh, This uh, just... Uh, unfathomable polarization uh, uh, politically and, and the, the culture wars. I, I, I genuinely try to make an effort in every occasion to understand the perspective of the other side, to put myself in their shoes, to try to understand what their motivations are, what their fears are, what their concerns are. And, uh, you know, so I try to have some empathy for all, all that behavior that I consider from my perspective, hypocritical and crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I, I can't help not point out that hypocrisy and that craziness, but I, I guess uh, by nature, I try to do it in as fun a way as possible. Uh, even though, uh, as you say, it's, you know, it, it's de- definitely got a, a biting pointed quality to it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I did have fun because there was so much really rich material to work with. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. I love that deliberately toothsome uh, female vocalist on, uh, on Welcome to Stupid Town. Um, you can see her on screen, the, the sort of the girl next door. You know, it's a rosy-cheeked, virginal. But the way she delivers that line, I love it. That's why every child gets their very own handgun. It, uh, that is vicious satire, <laughs> but, it, but she could be presenting a, a kids' TV show. In stupid town, the government's run to protect the rights of everyone. We value our freedoms and our fun. That's why every child gets their very own handgun. Welcome to stupid town. The children here are safe and sound. They open carry on the school playground here in stupid town. Well, you know what? Uh, th- that's delightful to hear. That's actually my uh, my, my two children, uh, my daughter ha- Hannah and my son Sam, okay. who are playing those extra roles, uh, uh, the narratives uh, speaking the parts of the townspeople. Right. Uh, and uh, the the direction that I did give them is, listen, uh, we, we, we want to depict these characters with uh, sincere... Enthusiasm, uh, and and not over the top snarky sarcasm. We 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 want them to sound just as you characterize, you know, as these you know these happy, self-content, um, you know, sincerely enthusiastic townspeople that uh, have embraced what they believe are uh, a traditional American values. Mm-hmm. Uh, Without recognizing that, in fact, uh, their behaviors and the policies that they're supporting are anything but what ought to be uh, those traditional values. Absolutely. Yeah. Fa- fascism with a grin on its face. Uh, and, well, and I guess that, that's the, a scary, scary thing. Sorry, Paul. Uh, yep. I was going to say, yeah, that they don't know they're psychotic, which is probably the definition of psychosis, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> 
it, 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 it is a puzzle. This song is like the anthem for the woke fighting against the, the, the gammons in society, you know, the, the, the pink-faced right-wingers. Um, I mean, I don't want to get too much into politics, Dean, but, uh, you know, we, we, we share that. Um, and it's frightening to see it on TV, on Fox News, on Twitter, on Facebook. It's a scary world, isn't it? You know, it's what's very depressing and, and, and tragic and sad and uh, unfortunate is that because of this polarized uh, political, cultural situation uh, that pre-existed Trump, but was exacerbated and heightened and validated by him, mm. uh, there are vast swaths of the American population uh, who are unnecessarily dying uh, f- simply because they've uh, listened to his uh, denials of the seriousness of the pandemic and the, the the tribal rejection of vaccination. Or wearing uh, and it's masks, just that there are hundreds of thousands of people dying because they're believing a lie. It, 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 that's that's the tragedy. Yeah. If you're headed to the grocery store to stock up on some food, try to keep in mind what rules apply. Have some consideration for your neighbors. Don't be rude. It really isn't that hard to comply. Wear a mask. Wear a mask. You know it isn't all that much to Unless you want to wind up lying in a casket Wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask It's lovely, throughout the album, Dean, um, you, you seem to be playing your polit- putting your, your political cards on the table and, and delivering some of the messages with a very straight bat. Sometimes you're, you're not ironic at all, are you? You're saying... Uh, you know about the wildfires and and riding with Biden. You, you you feel that he's he's fondly on the back of your bike with you because you know he, <laughs> you, you love him. Uh, you know there's that feeling, uh, and and I like the open hearted honesty of uh, so much of this material. They may call him Sleepy Joe, but there's one thing for sure I know: he's got more decency in his little toe than you know. Riding. It's time for deciding. Riding. No more dividing. Riding. Our future is right now. Riding. Is that a fair point? Uh, look, I'm, I, I'm, I'm delighted to, to hear that kind of feedback. I, you, know, you know, as a writer, I, you know, I try to be truthful about how I feel and, and how I view things, even if I occasionally deploy my poetic license. Which, as you know, is is an excuse to lie and make things up. <laughs> but, but at heart, uh, you know, I try to, you know, I, I, I abide by that. Uh, I, I don't know how familiar uh, you are in that side of the pond with Dr. Seuss, but yes, uh, yeah, he's, of course. Uh, one of his uh, popular books was about Horton the elephant. Um, uh, who's uh, tricked into. Uh, sitting on Daisy May's egg while she takes a vacation in Florida. And so he's got to, ha- you know, warm this egg in a nest, this elephant, uh, through rain and, and, and heat and storms and all kinds of tri- trials and tribulations. 
but he his mantra is because uh, he promised that he would take care of the egg he said i meant what i said and i said what i meant an elephant's faithful 100 percent Mm-hmm. And I, I, if I write a song, I have to live with it the rest of my life. And so when I write a song, whatever I say, I try to mean what I say, and I try to say what I meant. Uh, and you know, even if I you know might modify things to to, to get the lyrics to to fit in in one corner or another. Uh, you know, a song like "Riding with Biden," people might rightly ask, "Why did I include a campaign song on uh, on this album <laughs> about current events?" And the reason is simple, is because uh, whether people acknowledge it or not, or fully appreciate it or not, uh, for all his faults, and he's certainly got faults, uh, we owe him an eternal debt for the simple act of depriving Donald Trump from a second term. Because as bad as things are now, they would be a hundred times worse if Trump had uh, won the last election. And... Uh, so that track, Riding with Biden, is, is, is simply to, to remind people that we dodged a bullet. Uh, and uh, it could have been a lethal bullet to democracy. And the problem is that bullet is still whizzing around the yeah. atmosphere. And, uh, you know, th- there's every probability that Trump is going to run again. And there's every real possibility that he could win again. So this mm. disaster, uh, this nightmare is not over by any means and uh, it needs to be said I mean, people don't want to hear it but yeah he's still alive he still uh, has a, a huge inexplicable influence on vast uh, sections of the population and it's a, something we need to be aware of otherwise we will face more doom <laughs> just want to go to the movies Meet up with a bunch of my friends Buy a box of Skittles Find some good seats in the middle And watch the credits roll to the end Maybe stop at the diner Burger with some fries and a Coke Some pie for dessert Couldn't hurt The service so slow it's a joke Drop some change in the jukebox Beach Boys, California Girls I wish I could get back to a halfway normal world um, One of my favourite tunes on the record is, is Halfway Normal World which seems to be your visions and dreams of, of a new normal um, you know, like, like all of us, I guess You mention food and diners in there which made me chuckle because that seems to come up loads in in your songs and i'd love to delve into that one is that <laughs> is that that's the tune where you mention the beach boys isn't it it is and indeed sure paul, paul and i are massive obsessive fans of the beach boys so yeah i've thrown yeah. i've thrown a few conversational gambits at you there dean apologies but any thoughts <laughs> well uh of course you know my favorite recording of all time is Good Vibrations, Brian Wilson's oh, okay. The Beach Boys. Uh, it's just sublime. Uh, I don't know what else I can say about it. It just always gives me sheer pleasure every time I hear it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, there's also something very profoundly American about uh, their music and their sound. And in, in writing Halfway Normal World, I, I was just trying to conjure up you know, that sense of what we used to think of as a, a normal experience, a normal day, 
you know, just going to the movies, sitting in a diner with friends, uh, going to a ball game with a bunch of people sitting around you or having a party and having your friends there side by side, toe to toe. And, you know, without blatantly uh, I- indicating that we're in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> lockdown, I-, I was trying to, to depict those experiences that, that we all continue to long for. And are deprived of, and like you know, Joni Mitchell says, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Mm. Uh, everyone had that sense of of deep deprivation by being uh, unconnected from their family and their friends uh, and and their lives. At the same time that I was trying to depict those, you know, normal experiences. Uh, one thing the lockdown and the pandemic ha- ha- has made uh, uh, folks acutely aware of uh, is this stark uh, discrepancies between people of different circumstances uh, in terms of how they were able to manage surviving the pandemic uh, and the uh, systemic inequities that, that exist in society have always existed and continue to exist and that we're very adept at ignoring uh, until suddenly we have no choice but to acknowledge them. Uh, and uh, so we, 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 for a brief period of time, we try to acknowledge the essential workers uh, and call them heroes instead of actually paying them essential wages. <laughs> and uh, yes. so in, in the refrain, while I was trying to uh, express this longing for normality, uh, I... I wanted to indicate that going back to the way things were, going back to full normal, is not adequate uh, because we need to do better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, you know, even if it's, a, I, I don't want to go back to the ha- to the fully normal world. I want to go back to a better world, uh, even if it's halfway normal. Uh, you know, a world that has a little more fairness built into it, uh, that's a, a, a little less top heavy in terms of resources. Uh, and freedom, and uh, so th- I try to include that I- into the lyric. The, the only place I really mention the pandemic uh, is in reference to the baseball game, uh, where in a stadium filled of thirty thousand people, the only one wearing a mask is the is the guy behind the plate, the catcher. Touche. <laughs> mm. Take me out to the ball game. Doesn't seem like too much to ask Diamond Oasis Players running the bases The catcher is wearing a mask well, I can only speak for what happened in England We did experience many positives During the sort of height of the pandemic And, you know, acting maybe locally, not globally There was a, there was a, a sense of community mm. And sadly, and, and I include myself in this You sort of, it recedes quickly perhaps And you... you you do go back to normality uh, and you sort of you have to strive within yourself to 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 make that change i'm afraid it's i find it very easy to go back to the way things were and maybe that's human nature i suppose but yeah. it's it's thought provoking and 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 yeah it's a good point it makes us realize that we should we should strive to retain what we actually gained during the pandemic no good point but so uh, we we we're going to be having an election, I think, next year, Dean, in this country. 
ideally like you to run for Prime Minister, please. <laughs> I don't think he's eligible, unfortunately. <laughs> well, it doesn't, wait, wasn't your current Prime Minister born in the United States? Uh, I, think uh, you, I think you're right. Or, or Russia. I can't. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> One or the other. But uh, anyway, yes, we, we, we digress. Paul, you, you uh, floated a, a tantalising idea before about sort of going back in time to some of Dean, Dean's delightful records from... Yeah, well, we just, we'll just kind of do some wriggling around. I want to, want to show you this, Dean, um, which oh, is yeah. your, your third <laughs> album, Rumpled Romeo. I don't know whether you can see that. I've got a lovely friend called Math who must have met you at a meet and greet, and this LP oh, yeah, is actually... Yeah, it's autographed <laughs> to, to me, which, and I, I'm, I, I'd actually forgotten <laughs> the record, which is a lovely thing. I, I also I also have your handbook on songwriting and and I uh, oh, excellent well full disclaimer I'm afraid I lost it during a house move and I'm really sorry and that <laughs> that, that must it that must be one one of the reasons I've never had a hit record but um, <laughs> uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Rumpled Romeo because it's the kind of uh, maybe doesn't get as much um, uh, as interest shown towards it as some of the other better known records but I really like. Of course, McDonald's Girl, which mm. is a great track. And just last week, researching for this podcast, um, I came across the the cover by the Blenders, which I think is uh-huh. is, is brilliant. I'd, I'd like to know what you can tell us about your McDonald's Girl and, and maybe what you think of the Blenders' McDonald's Girl too. Absolutely. Well, you know what? Uh when I wrote McDonald's Girl, radio presenters will often ask, you know, well, did you know that was a hit when you wrote it? Uh, and that song I knew was a pure pop song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I always knew that it was just, a, you know, a pure hit record. And uh, and the problem was is that when it was released on my third album, Rumpled Romeo, uh, it was the first track that was released by Epic, uh, you know, the pre-Sony days. It was officially banned by the BBC for mentioning a commercial trade name. Yeah, right. Uh, and it actually led to my being dropped by my label and and uh, left to my own devices in in indie wilderness for uh, oh, uh, wow. almost two decades following that. But the song insisted on being heard, and I've always been proud of that song for that. You know, people also ask, you know, what's your favorite song? Well, you don't have a favorite song. They're all like kids, and you love them all. Mm-hmm. It's just some are better behaved than others. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in the case of McDonald's Girl, um, uh, 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 as frustrating as it was that it was banned, um, it was just a few years later than the then unknown band out of Canada uh, with the unlikely name of Bare Naked Ladies mm. right. did a cover version which became their first airplay hit in Canada uh, and led to them getting a deal. And uh, a few years after that, a band called The Blenders uh, had a number one hit with it in Norway. It was like the the song, the little song that could. It just insisted Mm. on being heard. (laughs) And uh, by hook or by crook. Then YouTube came along a few years later, uh, and McDonald's Girl went viral. Mm. Uh, And there are hundreds of videos on YouTube of people all over the world 
you know, almost every continent doing uh, lip syncing to uh, uh, cover versions uh, or my version of McDonald's Girl or singing their own a cappella version of McDonald's Girl. All the Ivy League schools in the United States, Yale and, and Columbia and uh, the, the, all their a cappella groups uh, added McDonald's Girl to their ca- catalog repertoire. Uh, and so it was always a delight hearing everyone's different interpretation of the song. And uh, it was finally about 35 years after our, it was banned by the BBC, I finally get a phone call from corporate headquarters of McDonald's. Uh, and the guy said, Mr. Friedman, we'd like to license your song, McDonald's Girl, for a national TV and radio campaign. And I, I said, wow, that's great. What took you so fucking long? <laughs> uh, and sure enough, uh, they used the Blenders cover version of it, uh, and uh, it was played all over the United States. And uh, like I say, I was really uh, proud of the song. And uh, the whole album that it came from, uh, Rumpled Romeo, as you suggested, it's overlooked in part, I think, because the whole album is really about teenage, uh, it's a teenage love story. Uh, and it's about adolescent angst and romance, and uh, you know the song McDonald's Girls uh, about the, you know a teenage boy who's just smitten with the the, the girl behind the counter. Uh, and I have to remind people of that when I perform it live because in the lyrics she's only 15 years old. Although for some reason every time someone covered it they would change her age. Uh, first, for no seriously, first uh, the Blenders said, "Look, we'd like." To, to change her to, to 16. And I said, sure, that's fine. Uh, uh, go ahead. And then um, Universal A&R guy called me and said, we'd also like to, to change that lyric where you referred to her as, uh, as a virgin. And so I said, well, let me get this straight. In, instead of the song being about a sweet, innocent 15-year-old virgin, you want it to be about a 16-year-old slut? <laughs> and, and he said, yes. And, wow. uh, so, and then she turned 17. Anyway, by now I suspect that she's probably in, in her mid-30s. Uh, hopefully she's got a management position instead of just being behind the counter. And maybe not wearing but, a polyester uniform. But oh, yeah, well, but you know the, what? When McDonald's licensed the commercial, they said, we have one more change. Yeah, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <clears throat> and, and I said, what, what's the matter? Uh, you still don't like her age? And they said, no, no, that's that's all good. But um, uh, we want to change the lyric where you reference her wearing a polyester univer- uniform. So now she's... Uh, She's wearing a golden arches uniform. Right. Um, okay. But uh, she's still an angel. Wonderful. Dean, would you mind giving us just a chorus uh, of that lovely song? Uh, the, the journey is that uh, it's a modest hit in Australia and New Zealand, I think, in, in 81. And it, it, it's, it's met with cosmic success. Let, let, let's hear yeah. a little slice of it. Tender and warm. I am in love with a McDonald's girl. She is an angel in a polyester uniform. I leave from softball practice every night. It's getting dark, but the golden arches light up the way. I turn the corner at the traffic light. I count my money and then I rehearse what I'm gonna say. Like an order of fries, quarter pounder with cheese. I love the light in your eyes. Will you go out with me, please? I am in love with a McDonald's girl. 
She has a smile of innocence, so tender and warm. I am in love with a McDonald's girl. She is an angel in a polyester uniform. She is an angel in a polyester uniform. Oh. Yeah, lovely. Fabulous. You, it, it, it's really interesting to hear you talk about Rumpled Romeo because um, I, I don't really know the story of the record, but yeah, I. I when I listened to it again, I, I, I twigged it as some kind of adolescent uh, odyssey almost, and and uh, and that and that that's what it was, right? It's a kind of um, it's a companion piece. Sorry to bring another Beach Boys reference in here, Dean. To I don't know whether you're familiar with the Love You album, mm-hmm. which is um, from 1977. It's virtually a Brian Wilson solo album, and I should say it's a good deal more crackpot than than rumpled romeo because that's where (laughs) that's where brian's head was at the time but in his head in that record he's an adolescent going through these kind of uh various scenarios i don't know would you would you agree sean there's some kind of yeah it's got a real it's got genuine innocence about it absolutely holding hands at the ice rink it's that it's that and and um and getting nervous when you meet her parents it's that lovely youthful Innocence. Well, she's a roller skating child with a ribbon in her hair. She gets my heart to beating when I see her there. You know my heart starts smiling when she sings. She's such an angel, I bet she's got wings. And we'll make sweet love when the sun goes down. We'll even do more when her mama's not around. Well, oh my, oh gosh, oh gee. She really sends chills inside of me And Paul, if you go back and listen to one particular track on Rumpled Romeo, Hey Larry. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that's that one. the one I was going to say. I like that. I love that one. Yeah, yeah. Borrowing the car. You'll see that it is totally uh, influenced by Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys harmonies. Yeah, yeah, right. absolutely. Uh, you know, special, especially the uh, you know the, the instrumental break. Uh, with vocals and, and trombones, it's uh, it's Absolutely. definitely Beach Boys track. There's no getting around it. I love that one, and I, and I like it. What I feel is a companion piece of that one. Buy my baby a car. But Sean, has, yeah, we didn't make notes, but that's the one I was going to mention as well. Yeah, Sean, they're both <laughs> really seductive, aren't they? Those tunes. Uh, there's a yeah, just hypnotic they're, actually. They're delicious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you say it's funny. You said delicious, Sean, because before, earlier you referenced the, the, this uh, the, the, food the, the frequency of food in my song <laughs> yeah. lyrics. Yeah, did you and, hear my tummy rumbling earlier on? I think I, must, <laughs> I just must be hungry, honestly. Well, I can't deny it, it and it hadn't occurred to me until you just said it. But uh, there is definitely a lot of food in my lyrics. Uh, I mean, you know, there it's referenced in, in McDonald's Girl. It's referenced in my, you know, my very first. Uh, released single Ariel, you know, uh, 
munching, getting the munchies and making spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and that wonderful cheesecake in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the deli. <laughs> I, I want to I taste that cheesecake. Absolutely. Uh, uh, corned beef on rye. So uh, I have to admit... Uh, that uh, that apparently food plays a huge role <laughs> in my that, creative, uh, you know, in universe. Your DNA. Is that is that just because you live in in the in the food capital of the world? Arguably, do you think it's it's, it's New York in your in your blood? Uh, well, I, I I I couldn't deny that, mm. um, and uh, but I, but I also think that the kind of granular concrete writing that that I'm in the habit of doing uh, inevitably incorporates that sort of daily partaking of, uh, and you know I, I I do tend to to write a lot of detail in my song lyrics and i love that trivia that trivial granular detail you 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 litter around it's it's really evocative and and so warm and funny sorry i'm interrupting no no well actually you're articulating it better than than i i can uh it's that it's the same goal that 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 i referenced earlier in terms of um, you know, being a, 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 a huge fan of, of songwriters like Joni Mitchell and uh, Paul Simon and Randy Newman, Bernie Taupin, Elton John, folks who paint pictures with their words and music. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something I always aspired to do starting out and still to this day, the idea that, uh, that you create this universe uh, and you populate it with details that that may be familiar to the listener but then leaves room for them to 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 fill in the rest of those details and in a way you're inviting them into the song yes uh, and making them part of the story and for me that's always my goal and uh, as you say you know food has that appealing delicious element to it uh, that people immediately can recognize and envision themselves in that situation, in that scenario. Uh, and uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I never thought about it in those terms. Yeah. And I, I take it you've seen the, that, that great video. Um, Paul turned me onto it today, actually, a YouTube video um, of the Delhi song filmed in almost yeah. one continuous shot. Have you seen that? Right, yes. Yeah, out in L.A. Uh-huh. They've done a great job, haven't they? Uh, oh, except yeah, they someone, did it in LA instead of New York. I didn't realise that. But apart yeah, from yeah, that, well, it was, it was <laughs> a famous de- deli in, in in Los Angeles. Okay. Um, and uh, just to leave, he was a fan and enthusiastic uh, listener, and also uh, directs shorts. And uh, asked me if if he could do a music video for the deli song, and I, I was all for it. And um, so yes, it it it, it conjures up that world. And as you're saying, Sean, it's along with that kind of detail, 
there's a conversational quality that I, I almost sort of innately gravitate towards yes. in my lyric. And again, I think of someone like Joni Mitchell because so much of her songwriting is almost dialogue. Uh, and and that sense of intimacy and familiarity and casual throwaway conversation uh, draws the listener in, and it draws me in, and so that, that it is a habit I have in terms of my own writing, uh, because it just feels more natural. It feels real. Absolutely, and 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 you can really draw your listeners in emotionally I'm, I'm thinking my favorite line of, of anything i've heard in the last few weeks your endearing mother called today i mean ah. <laughs> if if ever a phrase can paint a thousand pictures by the way i forgot to say your endearing mother called today did you see lisa yes i saw lisa is that why you're angry i wasn't angry not even maybe Must be the weather Now don't be a baby Wonderful. Well, you do try and condense a, a lot of story in, in, in a few words, and, yeah. and that's why you know I've characterized what I do as being a, someone who writes short stories. Yes, uh, because there is a, a need to evoke a universe uh, in a few phrases uh, and let people explore and fill in some of the gaps in that world, uh, and then I just add music to it. Sure. Or, the music comes first or the lyrics comes whatever every song is different we're talking about lucky stars now i will never understand why that song is viewed as a guilty pleasure it's it's <laughs> it's a music it is in this country i'm afraid to say although yeah. everybody knows it and maybe secretly loves it but there's no secret to my admiration for the song i love the way we you mentioned the short story we walk in in the middle of an argument so we're right. saving time straight away and I, I, I think Denise does get some of the best lines. Uh, what are you saying? Do you still uh, do you still want her? What are you saying? Do you still want her? I mean, just the, just those three lines. That it's economical, but 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 brilliant. Um, and uh, I wondered if you if you knew when you wrote that song, it was a special one. And and second part of that question, did you? then specifically write it for, for a female voice to, to duet with you on it? Well, I definitely wrote it as a duet. Yeah. Right around the time I, I wrote it, I, I was still driving a taxi cab uh, to okay. pay my rent. And, right. <clears throat> um, you know, at the time I was listening to a lot of country music on the radio. Now, uh, at that time, there were not a lot of duets in pop music. Uh, but there has always been a long tradition of duets in country music. Uh, and another characteristic of country music is that it's filled with marital strife and jealousy and angst and heartbreak. And so in some ways, Lucky Stars was my pop version of a traditional country duet. How interesting. Uh, Mm. And uh, at the same time, I, I would probably add that because... My mom uh, was a singer and a performer on Broadway and, and in film. 
there was always some Broadway show tune on the piano. Uh, so in addition to being a, a, a country music duet, it also embraced a lot of that Broadway musical tradition. Uh, and, and it has been described as sort of a mini musical in a, in a three minute, three and a half minute right. pop song. Uh, as to why it's a guilty pleasure, um, listen, I, 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 I think it's to do with a couple of things. One is that it's admittedly uh, corny. Uh, and uh, people don't realize how obviously tongue in cheek it was written. Uh, while at the same time, it's filled with really hardcore. Uh, truths about relationships, about adult relationships, and and jealousy, and and uh, uh, you know projecting passive aggression. Uh, you know, he, yeah, uh, you know he starts out. You know, uh, what what are you crazy? How in the hell can you say what you just said? Yeah, there's this the, this anger, and he's mad at her. Why? Because he knows she's going to be angry at him because he had lunch with the, you know, this ex this afternoon, so he's projecting. There's a lot going on dynamically in terms of that relationship that's condensed into just a few lines. Mm. Um, so I think people that don't grasp that just hear the, the, the corny component of it, which I get. That's fine. The other reason, I think, is, is simply that... Um, that, that there was never a viable follow-up uh, single to Lucky Stars. So that's the last thing uh, people in the UK remember uh, of my mm. career. If Rocking Chair had followed up or if you know any of a number of tracks off subsequent nine albums had, had been got had received airplay and been playlisted, uh, then I think we'd be having a much different conversation. Mm. But, you know, them's the breaks. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, so I love the song. I'm always proud of it, um, and uh, it it does crack me up uh, when people confess to it being their guilty pleasure. And I want to slap them and say, "All right, stop yeah. being so guilty." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's try get rid of the word guilty. And, and by uh, the way, I'm not a one hit wonder. It's it's wonderful you talking about that that beautiful economy in that in that song, Dean. And it's one of the reasons why you're. I don't know. Your songwriting style, your delivery, often reminds me of Gilbert O'Sullivan. Uh, uh, many people made that comparison before. Uh, well, I'm a huge fan of uh, Gilbert O'Sullivan. Uh, he writes beautiful songs. Mm. And uh, the things that I, I definitely feel an affinity for uh, are uh, his storytelling uh, and you know, the way he depicts relationships uh, in a narrative and uh, with, with a lot of use of dialogue. Yeah. And uh, casual details thrown in, yeah, casual details. So th that's also something that I really relate to. And uh, also his his lovely use of the harmonic vocabulary that he deploys, uh, and, and you know what people might think of as just pop songs. Uh, that's one of the things that makes his songs unique, other than the lyrics, is. Uh, that it's really kind of a jazz R&B vocabulary, e even though it, it's 
played in a different kind of idiom. Okay. Uh, those changes, that harmonic vocabulary, the two fives, uh, the diminished chords and progressions, uh, that's, uh, you know, a, a, a certain harmonic vocabulary that you don't find in most pop music. You find it in a lot of R&B, uh, and you find it all over jazz, um, but it's a sort of a special niche uh, in pop music, uh, and my ears always jump to it. You know, it's it's the same vocabulary that Steely Dan uses, but in a much different context. Okay. Yeah, that, that is that's fascinating. What me and, well, that's what me and Sean get off on, isn't it, really? J- jazz jazz chords in a pop context, I suppose. And, yeah, Steely Dan's at the other end of the spectrum. I mean, Gilbert O'Sullivan is a fantastic... He's a kind of jazz songwriter h- hiding in plain sight. He doesn't... The way he plays, he kind of plonks the piano almost, you know, with his left and right alternate. But his use of, his use of harmonic dexterity, as you say, is, is wonderful and, and similar to, to yours in, in many respects. We just... Uh, since we're talking about contemporaries, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're aware that Sean and I started started off as a 10cc podcast. In fact, we started very narrowly discussing this album. I don't know whether you know it. It's Consequences by Godley and Cream. It was the, when Kevin Lowell left 10cc, or basically this was the album that f- caused them to leave 10cc it's customary for us to ask about consequences have you heard of it and if so what do you think of it i have but i have to confess it's been a long while so i'm That's not sure i can fine. be very like articulate about it um i i will say that i'm a huge fan of 10cc's music and graham goldman in particular Right. Uh, you know, going back to No Milk Today. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, some of these just early classic uh, examples of pop songwriting uh, and up to, you know, I'm Not In Love. And uh, just, uh, you know, again, one of the classic recordings of all time, uh, right up there with, you know, uh, Good, good vibrations. vibrations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely and, agreed, yeah. Uh, and uh, I think you... Didn't you rub shoulders with Graham? So uh, was it the PRS? Um... Yeah, there was a PRS function, uh, and we each performed a couple of songs, uh, and uh, we shared a lunch. And he was very gracious and uh, a, a good guy. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, it's always a treat to 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 hear him perform, whether it's solo or uh, with band. And uh, yeah, look forward to running into him again next time I'm over. Absolutely. Well, we'll we'll say hello to him on your behalf, actually, Dean. We're 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 going to be shaking hands with him for the first time on Saturday up in Manchester. Um, we've spoken to him no end of times now on the podcast in this way, where we can say we've met him, but we haven't actually met him. Like like, we, <laughs> we, like we're going to tell everybody that we met Dean Friedman today. Uh, but but, it, but it, uh, of course we have. But um, it'll be lovely to to be in a room and shake his hand. Um, and and uh, he is a really charming, funny, lovely bloke. Uh, well, say hi for me. Yeah, we will do. Um, we will do. I, Dean, I've got a couple of really random questions for you, and I, I apologise in advance. Um, Go ahead. Uh, one is one that you've probably been asked many times before, but I bet you've never been asked this before. You and I have a venue, a concert venue in common, uh, a place where I've played lots of times, and I think you've played lots of times, and that's the Artrix in Bromsgrove. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, um, and and I'm 
really fascinated by your relationship with Britain because uh, you do tour here often, which is wonderful. Um, but we don't hear Britain in your lyrics, I don't think. So I, I just briefly, I'd, I'd love you just to talk about the Artrix in Bromsgrove. Bless it, <laughs> rest its soul. It's, it's now just a place to get your jabs, which is really sad. All right, well, here's one thing that comes to mind when I think about the Artrix in in Brownsgrove. It's always a lovely audience. I really enjoy it. But I always get screwed up with putting the coordinates in my GPS. There's a parking (laughs) lot right adjacent to the stage entrance that you can't get to directly if you follow the actual GPS coordinates. So true. That's the first thing that comes to mind, other than the fact that it's a lovely venue. I've always enjoyed playing there. Uh, I got friends in the area. Uh, that's always a treat. Okay, lovely. Um, and uh, as far as my uh, relationship to the UK, uh, they're actually, a, 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 and Ireland, they're actually a, a lot of songs that might have a few hidden uh, lyrics that uh, would not have happened otherwise. Okay, I know, uh, I know about other the, than, you've got the Irish ducks in a puddle, haven't you? That's true. Yes, yeah. uh, that, that's uh, uh, w- w- one of the tunes, the 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 ducks of Saint Stephen's Green, which is a true story uh, that took place during the Easter Rising in, in 1916, mm. uh, when a gamekeeper uh, had both sides agree to a truce so that he could feed his ducks once a day every mm. afternoon. Wow! Uh, and uh, it, it's a sweet s- story and a sweet song, uh, and uh, that's one example. Um, there's another song called The Lakelands that I wrote, which uh, uh, was put out uh, 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 by Peach River Records that went bankrupt the week it was released. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it was, uh, the, the song The Lakelands is something I wrote while I spent a weekend in the Lake District. Uh, and uh-huh. the agent uh, who had booked the tour stupidly had no gigs that weekend. So I had to spend a whole weekend <laughs> <laughs> hanging out in a hotel in Lake Windermere. With nothing to do but walk around. Okay. I, I, I can think of, of worse places to be stranded. Well, I, I, I did walk away with, with, with a pretty song. Uh, and even though the label went bankrupt that released it, uh, uh, there was a, a gentleman in Mick McDonough who was putting together a compilation album in Ireland of traditional Irish folk songs. And he said, Dean, we need an extra track for this compilation album, and your song fits right in. Uh, can we license it? And I said, sure. So uh, the album became a huge hit in Ireland called Green Velvet, a compilation album, and it had all these classical, you know, these traditional Irish folk songs, you know, Danny Boy when she was sweet 16, and The Lakelands by this Jewish kid from New Jersey. And, uh, of course, probably thereafter, that company went bankrupt, so I never got <laughs> paid for it. But uh, curiously, The Lakelands, uh, inspired by Hanging Around the Lake District, is one of my best-selling tracks of all time. Wow. Even though people might not necessarily know it, but anyone that grew up uh, in Ireland uh, during that time had that record and ha- playing on their turntable. Uh, wow. And it's one of the bonus tracks on, on the, the Rumpled Romeo CD that I finally put out. Okay. I confess uh, I've, not, I've not heard Lakelands, and I've been, listening to, I've been listening to your stuff for a couple of days now. I, I was looking for it on here. I thought, hang on, it's not on there, but that's because I was listening to the Spotify version, yeah. so well, it was well, added it's later. It's a bonus track uh, right. on the CD. Right, gotcha. Uh, so uh, if you can't find it, email me. I'll, I'll, I'll send you a link to it. Oh, Sarah, send me back. Send me back to the lake. Now. 
back up my gig and my gunny sack I've made some new plans If my love will take me back I'd like one more uh, another song that comes to mind, and, and this would not be apparent to anybody, is the, a song called Jennifer's Baby that I wrote uh, that's on my Songs for Grownups album. It's a double CD that came out in 98. And <clears throat> there's a song on it called Jennifer's Baby about uh, friends of ours who went and adopted a sweet little baby girl. Mm. Um, and the chorus... Uh, Wake up the neighbors and break out the ale Jennifer's baby just came in the mail She's pink and she's perfect in every detail And Jennifer's a mommy now Now, uh, in, nice. in the United States, we really don't drink a, much, a lot of ale <laughs> And so the only reason that uh, lyric wound up in that chorus And that refrain, because uh, it rhymes with Jennifer's baby came in the mail yeah. uh, Is the time that I spent touring the UK and and you know having lunch in a pub, uh, where you know you had a choice between ale and cider, so there are little bits and pieces in nice. song lyrics like that that do reflect the, all the time that I've spent uh, uh, touring around the UK. Wonderful, and wonderful. Thank you for that very detailed answer. I appreciate it. Talking about the UK, Dean, and I apologise in advance for this question. Perhaps the quintessentially <laughs> English band is one that I'm. I'm quite obsessed with one of my very, very favourite bands and my, <laughs> my favourite lyricist who's ever lived, um, Mr. Nigel Blackwell uh, of, Har- uh, uh, of Half uh, Man, uh, Half uh, Biscuit. Um, yeah, and um, I, I know the story, obviously, um, but I, I'd love you to share briefly with our listeners um, the, the wonderful connection that, that you and Half Man, Half Biscuit have, have developed. Um, Tongue in cheek, I, I have to stress, I guess. Um, Tell us about it, because it, it, it really makes me howl with laughter and fondness. <laughs> well, um, it was a, a while back, and uh, I mean, I'm talking about a long while back. My wife was uh, uh, pregnant with our first kid, our daughter Hannah. I got a call from a good friend in London, Andy. He said, Dean, something's going on here you need to know about. I said, what? He goes, well... There's a band outside of Merseyside called Half Man, Half Biscuit. And I said, that's a funny name for a song. He said, Dean, that's not the funny part. I said, okay, what's the funny part? <clears throat> he said, well, they have a best-selling EP, and there's a track on it titled The Bastard Son of Dean Friedman. <laughs> now, you have to appreciate, I thought there was no way that it was possible. I figured he's just pulling my leg and kidding until I landed at Heathrow Airport to, to kick off another tour. And he met me there with the EP, and sure enough, there's the title, The Bastard Son of Dean Friedman. <laughs> at, at which point I did get a little concerned. After all, uh, you know, I'm Dean Friedman. <laughs> and I grew increasingly concerned until I sat down and I did the math. And I, I calculated that in order for me to have fathered Nigel Blackwell, uh, I would have had to have done so when I was seven. Yes. <laughs> now, admittedly, I was a, a precocious child. But not that precocious. And, and so uh, uh, I, I finally uh, sat down and listened to, to, to the song, to the track itself. And I loved it. I got to tell you, I was cracking up. And you can thank your lucky stars that you're not the bastard son of Dean Friedman. The bastard son of Dean Friedman. Uh, <laughs> you know, Nigel Blackwell 
is a terrific songwriter and and sir, hands down the best lyricist in the whole realm of punk music. Yes. And uh, uh, Half Man, Half Biscuit are a kicking band. But even then, Sean, I swore that one day I would exact my revenge. And in fact, that I did. Yes. Uh, Which and you did I don't beautifully. Know all right. Well, indeed, I, I wrote a, a song called A Baker's Tale, yeah. which uh, tells the hitherto unknown uh, story of Nigel Blackwell's dubious origins yes. uh, uh, in a, uh, a, a bakery uh, uh, <laughs> one night. Um, and uh, it... Uh, your listeners will have to search it out. It's on Spotify and YouTube. Uh, it's called A Baker's Tale. And as I say, it, it, it tells the true story uh, of <laughs> Nigel's <laughs> dubious origins. No, absolutely. And, and, it, and it, I love the, the tongue-in-cheek riposte um, to Nigel's tongue-in-cheek lyric. Because um, after all, he's only I think he's just referring to the fact that you and he shared big, a big bush of curly hair. Uh, I, I honestly think that was the only... <laughs> Uh, the only similarity, but uh, it's a wonderful story, um, and uh, I know that, uh, that Nigel Blackwell doesn't have a malicious bone in his body. Well, you know, I, I met Nigel and 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 the guys, and they're yeah. really good guys. They're really sweet. They're, he was really gracious, and all of them were. And uh, it, it, the first time was up at uh, I think the the Liquid Rooms in Edinburgh uh, during one of the Fringe festivals. Okay, and uh, you played in Bilston, didn't you, at the Robin? <coughs> Oh yeah! I in fact they uh, they invited me on stage to sing my song, my repost, the uh, <laughs> Baker's Tale. I was a little nervous, but by the end uh, of the second chorus, the, all the folks in the audience were singing along. Uh, uh, you know, Nigel Blackwell, play, pray, please do tell. How could your parents risk it? Baker's son, born of a bun, half a man, half a biscuit. Yes. And uh, <laughs> so they all sang along, and then at the, at the end of the show, I, I joined Nigel in the band. For a rousing rendition of The Bastard Son of Dean Fugan. So they scoffed a ride and scorn From such forbidden love Nigel was born It, it was a lot of fun. We, we had a good time. Wonderful. And I, I like to think now, again, I might be overthinking it, but uh, the first time we met, Nigel did say that he grew up with my album in, in, in the house. So uh, given the quirkiness uh, and the tongue-in-cheek humor that is characteristic of his lyrics, I do like to think that in some remote sense that maybe he is my bastard son <laughs> oh, wonderfully said wonderfully said Dean thanks so much for indulging me with that um, you've made me a very happy happy chappy potted plants hanging down from the ceiling creeping up my windowsill if the cats don't get on the winter wind But I am a fool and I water them every day. I guess just just one more, again, a sort of very tenuous 10cc connection. Neil Sedaka recorded 
uh, one of his signature songs, Solitaire, I don't know whether you know this, at Strawberry Studios with 10cc before they were 10cc backing him. Um, yeah, in, in sort of 1971-72. In fact, Neil Sedaka was the one who kind of galvanised the four guys into action and said, well, it wasn't just that that made them form, but he was one of the people who said, look, you guys are really great. Why are you just this house band at the studio you co-own? You should be a band, which I thought was interesting. But um, the, the, the reason I mentioned Solitaire, you won't be surprised to know, perhaps the brilliant song on your debut album, um, it's a kind of... Uh, the title, I think, had almost been ring-fenced by Sadaka by the time you wrote a song of that title uh, yourself. Um, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful song. Well, was it ever considered as a, as a single? Um, do you know? I don't think so. Uh, they're, they're, the, the folks who ran the indie label I started off on, uh, they just didn't have that kind of mindset. Um, okay. But I always felt that, that it could have been. Um, and, uh, you know, when I grew up, uh, uh, my folks had split. My mom's boyfriend was this gambler. Uh, mm-hmm. And so there was always a deck of cards on the table. <laughs> and so it, it, it was just a metaphor that came readily to mind. It's, it's 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 a beautiful song. I mean, again, the, the the attention to detail there. You can almost, you know, you you can picture uh, the the flat and uh, and the way that the guy's living. I just I simply wanted to mention the song because it's one of my favourites. That's mine all. too. And I, I, it's so musically, it's, it's so rich. Dean, could you briefly talk us through what's happening chord-wise on Solitaire? Because the verse in particular. I, I don't know. I can't. I can't quite pin it down. I've not tried to play it or anything, but it 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 seems to modulate all over the place. But am I right in thinking that you're playing major chords on the verse? There's something really unusual about about what you're doing harmonically with it. I, I am, and uh, it's funny that you mention that because I, I I used to think of them as bitonal chord changes, um, but they could also be just you know major seven chords with ninths in them yes um the inciting invi- uh, incident for uh, that was i was studying uh music at city college and one of the instructors was a, a gentleman named don heckman and don heckman w- was a really fine uh sax player and also producer who produced one of the blood sweat and tears albums ah. uh, and then went on to become uh, an a and r person at rca records uh while i was studying with him and uh, you know, I'd, it was, I had been writing a lot of songs, and uh-huh. there you go. Very good. And yes. uh, I'd written a lot of songs, and in, cl- in, in, in a session, he asked, what do you think are your strengths, the, the, the words or the, the music? And I said, well, I've always felt the, uh, more confident in my music. It just comes more naturally, more innately. I have to work a little harder on the words. And he said, well, you know what? If that's the case, maybe you should re-examine your premise. Maybe you need to work a little harder on your music, even if you think it comes more naturally. And, you know, that took me aback. And I went home and and, and really started incorporating 
those thoughts and it forced me to sort of re-examine my approach to composition. Mm. And I thought, well, maybe I do need to to think a little harder about the melodies that I write and, and the chord changes that I wrote. And so... But... And so Peaceful. it was the first instance I had written jazz changes and incorporated the vocabulary in my music up until then. But it was the first time that I intentionally uh, searched for uh, surprising chord changes and unexpected leaps in terms of where the melody went yeah, yeah. and how the, the, the harmonic vocabulary progressed throughout the song. And that's why there is a sense of key change and there's a sense of bitonality in that song in particular. Uh, and it was really uh, sparked by that conversation uh, uh, with Don Heckman uh, instructing me uh, in composition. And uh, so, yeah, that's something I never forgot. Right. Well, thanks. So that's, that's, a, that's a lovely and insight. It's interesting, Sean, that you some you could actually hear that, and and then we're threading back to the to the to how that came to be. I don't know. There was a taste, and, and here I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm going back to food, aren't I? Maybe it's my tea time. <laughs> no, uh, no, it's yeah, it's great story. Thank you, Dean. Lovely. Yeah, lovely, lovely, lovely. Um, well, it's Dean, nice recalling how it came about. Sure, Dean. This has been an absolute thrill, and and thanks so much for for spending so much time with us. A pleasure to meet you guys, and I look forward to seeing it in the real world uh, in the not-too-distant future. Speaking of which, please tell us um, when everybody in the UK can see you in the real, in the in the roar, as it were. Well, <laughs> unless some giant meteor <laughs> crashes into the face of the moon, precluding air travel, I am determined to grab my suitcase and guitar, hop on a plane, and kick off a UK tour which begins April 2022. Uh, the first date is in Wales on the 21st in uh, Carnarfon. I don't even know how I'm pronouncing that. Carnarfon? Carnarfon, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then I'm all over the UK through April and May. Brilliant. Uh, and back again in July and August, uh, winding up at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And all the dates are already on my website in the gig section of deanfriedman.com. And most of those dates are already on sale. You can buy tickets right now. Uh, and I do expect a lot of these dates to be sold out. Um, and uh, so I urge your listeners to check out the website uh, and see what, where I'm playing in your neck of the woods. And also, of course, you can get all you know my catalog of albums and and uh, even that songwriter's handbook. Yeah, yeah. I'll, get, I'll need to pick pick up a replacement copy. Actually, no. well, yeah, I'll, I'll, the, I'll get the, it. I'll get it you for Christmas, Paul. How about that? Oh, that's very kind of you. And, then, and where 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 would you prefer, <laughs> Dean, that that people pick up your new album, American Lullaby? What, what's your preferred um, place to to get the CD or or download? Well, I, I always invite folks to, to to purchase merch direct from the artist's website because just if you're not aware of it, it's worth mentioning that uh, although it's great if you have a subscription to Spotify or Deezer or mm. Apple or Amazon, uh, it's great to listen to uh, my music and the music of my peers and contemporaries as much as you like on those websites. Uh, but keep in mind that every time you listen to something, they pay you one 
thousandth of a penny. Yes. Uh, and even though I get over 100,000 streams a month on Spotify, that uh, translates into less than 150 bucks a month. So the point is, is all these streaming services are viciously ripping off the artist. Yep. So if you like independent music and you want to support the artists that make the music that you love, you should purchase their albums and any other merch that they might have for offer directly from their websites because otherwise they're not going to see a penny of it. Yeah. Here, here. And it's yeah. DeanFriedman.com. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, message received and, and uh, we, we're totally in favour, Dean. Um, uh, really enjoyed the album and I've... I've as I said at the start, I've loved immersing myself in your fascinating, personal, and an incredibly likable catalogue. And I think you are an extremely likable artist, and I, and I mean that in, in a serious way, Dean. Well, it, I, I appreciate you saying that. It's all an act. I'm a really horrible person, but <laughs> that is clear. But I try that to write earnest clear. songs. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and I, you know what? Thank you guys uh, for being generous with your time and sharing your audience and for helping to spread the word and the music. Uh, and uh, again, be well. And uh, you too. You too. I'll catch you guys definitely down the line. Brilliant. And uh, yeah, enjoy, enjoy the rest of your day. Take care, Dean. And we look forward to um, to waving at you from the audience when you're over here in the spring. Well, well, make sure you come and say hi. We will. We will. Uh, and we will. Uh, so, yeah, you'd be well. Brilliant stuff. Take care, Dean. Bless you. I wish you laughter, elation, delight, jubilation, dear boy. I wish you joy. Joy, 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 joy. been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening